Now, Lord, we have come to the time in this service when we humble ourselves under the hearing of the word of the Lord. Your word is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And you alone, O Lord, know how to apply its truth to the hearts that have assembled in this building. You alone, O Lord, know what is in the people's hearts that sit in this audience today. And you alone, O Lord, are able to do something about their situation in life, their circumstance, their difficulty, their hardship. And I pray that the word of the Lord today will become spiritual food to them and give them strength to walk the walk of a servant and a disciple before you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. We preached many times about consistency and steadfastness. In fact, the Bible says in the last verse of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Therefore be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Those who follow him, Jesus said, are to live up to a very strict discipline. He says, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve mammon, the Bible said, which, is, which means you cannot serve God and man. You've got to serve the Lord to walk this walk with him. This walk of faith, as we call it. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That walk or that journey is a, a journey that is uh, strewn throughout with all kinds of events in our lives. We talk sometimes about born again. How many of you heard born again believer? I'm a born again Christian. Well, that's, that's true. We are born again. But uh, we sometimes need to say I'm a born again Christian and born again and born again and born again and born again. <laughs> because on this walk, with God, there are many pitfalls and there are many dangers along the way. And sometimes you are so overwhelmed with just living this life, the difficulties and the hardships that it presents. Sometimes our knees buckle and we fall to our knees. Sometimes we get like David who said, oh, that I had wings of a dove for then would I fly away and be at rest. Have you ever felt like just flying away and rising above it all and just not have to be bothered with this mess that you're in and that you're going through? Well, I want to tell you, God gives grace sufficient for every test that you go through. In fact, the Bible said he would not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able to bear but would with the temptation make a way for your escape. Your escape is Jesus. Jesus is our escape from all of the harm that our adversary would do to us. We're going to read a passage of scripture that's going to talk about a, a man that Jesus had great confidence in. In fact, Jesus said things to this man that he didn't say to any other man, both good and bad. He is the only man that Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon, because flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a wonderful saying. That was one of the high points of, of Peter's 
proclamation of faith and his development into becoming a pillar. You remember years ago I preached a series about the making of a pillar when God had a destiny for Peter, but he had to realize that destiny and he had to grow into it. Have any of you here had to grow into the destiny that God has for you? Is there anybody here that feels like you've got a destiny in God? Anybody here feel like you've got a purpose for your life? Anybody here think that God has a plan for you? Amen. Well, that's, that's good. We all are pretty well sold on that fact that God is in control of our lives. And last Sunday we learned that we're not our own, that we're bought with a price. So actually we are in the hands of our God. And the Bible said he hath engraved us upon the palms of his hands. Amen. I don't know if you do that, but sometimes I scribble around on my palm so I won't forget. Especially when Debbie gives me lists to pick up at the grocery. And writing it down on my palm, I still miss some of it sometimes. But you know, if you're engraving upon the palm of God, my, how, how that every time he raises his hand to roll out the heavens, he sees Mike Northcutt. Every time he raises his hand, to order the universe into motion, he sees Faye play. Wow. How is it that God is so mindful of us? How is it that God has so minutely and specifically, infinitesimally, given every one of us a purpose and a plan for our life? God wants you to be in good health. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to be blessed. In fact, he wants you to be blessed so much that he said no good thing would he withhold from them that love him. My, what a statement that is. Did you get the mag magnitude of that statement? No good thing will God withhold from people who love him. Wow, I feel like saying that again. There's so much power and potential in that. No good thing will God withhold from people who love him. If it's good for you, God wants you to have it. Amen. And don't get mad if he doesn't give it to you because you, you didn't really need to have that. You need to trust him. Amen. Trust him for promotions. Trust him for purchases, trust him for your sustenance, trust him for your health, trust him for your finances, trust him for relationships. And if you'll put your trust in him, the Bible said, trust in the Lord with all of your might. Trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding. We quote it so much, don't we? Lean not to your own understanding and he will direct your path. Is anybody here that you feel like God is directing your path? Well, about half of us was on that one because uh, we, we may not want to go the route God wants to go. Well, I want to tell you, it's not like fussing with Siri. When God says go this way and do this, he intends for you to go that way. Amen. Well, Brother Jerry, just so you get there. No. The Bible said Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the and no man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus and there is salvation in no other now Peter had such a wonderful experience 
with the Lord Jesus. He was a brawling deckhand at Bethsaida when the Lord found him. Oh, he was so, such a mess when the Lord told him to catch the fish and they caught a, 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 a whole big group of fish so great that their nets break. And Peter fell down before the Lord and said, Oh, God, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Convicted of his sin. But Jesus told him, if you'll follow me, I'll make you into a fisher of men. If you'll follow me, I've got a plan for your life. If you'll follow me, if you'll give me your resources, I've got a purpose. I've got a, got a glorious destiny for you. But how Peter struggled with that destiny, like all of us do, like all of us wrestle with this walk of, of faith that sometimes when our flesh and our carnal nature really wars against our spiritual mind and brings us into captivity. We cry out with, with Paul, oh wretched person that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 26 tells the story of Jesus' arrest in the garden, carried to the uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, and Jesus appears before the Sanhedrin. I've been to that house. I've stood in that grain bin where Jesus was incarcerated and put in overnight. Boy, what a feeling that is to stand in a place where Jesus has stood and to see all the building that is around that was there and Jesus was present. But while Jesus was going through the ordeal, the plucking out of his beard, the smiting of him with the palms of their hands and spittle running down his face from the mockery. He opened not his mouth. He remained silent. But when Caiaphas asked him, are you really the king of the Jews? He said, thou sayest it. And he said, you have no power but what God allows you to have. And he said, if I would right now, I could ask my father to send 12 legions of angels and they would come and shed blood until blood would flow through the streets of Jerusalem. But because of Trish Watts, Jesus said, I can't do that. Oh, come on, somebody. Because of Steve Akers, I can't call legions of angels to come to my rescue. I've got to do this. But the Bible said that Peter followed afar off. Walking afar off. Walking in a distance. I want to tell you, it's hard to walk this walk when you're afar off from Jesus. Brother, if you're not in union with Jesus, if you're not wholly devoted and committed to Jesus, then this walk can be incredibly tough. Because when you don't get the strength that Jesus gives, the strength through which I can do all things, but Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't expect anything good to happen apart from Jesus. Nothing good comes of a, a distance walk from Jesus. Brother, when you're not in fellowship with him, and you're not in, not in communion with him, life can be miserable, miserable. And while this disciple had 
been spoken of and prophesied to, you're gonna be great, you're gonna do great things in the kingdom of God, but now he finds himself at a distance from Jesus. That's a terrible, terrible plight because our adversary is working every available moment to separate us from Jesus, to get us to where we walk at a distance. And if you're not very careful, he'll get you all nestled down and it will become real comfy because you are not close enough to Jesus to feel convicted. You're not close enough to him to be concerned. You're not close enough to him to really be longing for better. And you just settle down to a life of mediocrity spiritually. A status quo. The devil would love to get harvest to status quo. The devil would love to get this pastor to business as usual. The devil would love to get this entire church to a state that Jesus called the Laodicean church lukewarm. You're not really hot. You're not really cold. You're just lukewarm. Brother, that is a terrible state to be in. It's a state of lethargy. It's a state of laziness. It's a, it's a state of indifference. And that happens when you know the name of Jesus and you wear the t-shirt, but you don't have the relationship. You see, when those soldiers gambled for the robe of Jesus, They felt like maybe they were getting something they could wear that would symbolize the end of a misguided Jewish rabbi. But I want to tell you, whenever he tried to wear that t-shirt, I'm sure he tore it off and said, I can't wear that. You know why? Because there's conviction that goes along with the things of Christ. When you handle and preach and teach the things of Jesus, there's a conviction that comes about. Oh, that God would take his word and cause such an unrest among people that they would not be comfortable with status quo and not be comfortable with just ordinariness and mundaneness just to walk in and fill a space and just be a fixture in God's house. The devil would love to put you in that place of spiritual lethargy where nothing really moved you. You weren't really cold and backslid and lost and drinking whiskey and chasing women. But you weren't really up there in relationship with God where you could really serve him and really feel the, the warmth of his presence and the power of his love and might. Peter had that experience. And by the time we drop down to verse 69, now Peter sat without in the palace and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Or in Alabama we would say, I ain't got a clue what you're talking about. And when he was going out into the porch, another maid saw him. And another little girl said to him that was there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth also. And again, he denied with an oath and said, I don't know that man. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. And then again, he began to curse and he began to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately, the cock crew. 
And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. Our text speaks of a man who was a very powerful influence among the disciples. He was such a leader that others followed him. He was so boisterous that when he spoke, oftentimes, Jay, he would be impulsive and say something really weird for that time because if it came in his mind, it came out his mouth. And he was so given to impulsion and saying things that he really couldn't back up. You know, the reason that cock crew is Jesus prophesied to Peter. After Peter had just said, Lord, all of these will deny you before I do. I will go all the way with you. I will not ever, ever deny you. I will die for you. And Jesus prophesied and said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me thrice. And how true that prophecy was. And when Peter realized that Jesus knew his future, that Jesus knew his lack of faith and lack of commitment, those eyes that at once time were so fixed upon Jesus that he'd step out the bow of a boat and walk upon water to go to Jesus, those eyes that saw him multiply fishes and loaves and feed 5,000, those eyes that saw him walk up to a funeral procession and raise the dead boy back to life, those eyes that saw him do incredible things, now those eyes are watching from the dim lights because he doesn't want to be noticed and he's watching from afar off what happens to Jesus. He's interested in Jesus. He knows Jesus. Jesus knows him, but he's here and Jesus is there. He's here and Jesus is there. In other words, he is in, in a transition period. He knows he, who he was when he was a disciple walking the road. He remembers taking Jesus aside when Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem, be delivered into the hands of, of sinners, and I will be killed in Jerusalem. And Peter drew him aside and said, not so, Lord, that can never be. And Jesus said the strongest words to him that he ever said to anybody. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. You see, sometimes when you're in transition, someone needs to speak straight to you. Sometimes when you've made a, a detour and you're on some pig trail and left the main trail, someone needs to look you in the eye and say, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. The person that loves you will tell you you're going the wrong way. I'm thinking of a person that I've been telling for a long time, you're going the wrong way. You've got to get off of this road that you're on. This road is taking you to a place you don't want to go. It's going to do disastrous, catastrophic things to you if you don't listen to me. You've got to get off of that road. You see, the best friend you've got is the one that will tell you 
that that broad road leads to destruction. And the Bible said, and many there be that go in thereat. When Jesus looked at Peter, he spoke to him as truth. Peter, you're on the wrong, you're thinking the wrong thing. You've got the wrong mindset. You're on the wrong road. You've got to get off that road. I've got a purpose. And I came into the world to save sinners. I came into the world to seek and save that which is lost. And I can't do that unless I fulfill my destiny, the purpose that God sent me into the world to do. And he would not allow Peter to talk him out of doing that. Wow. I think there are people that are sitting right here this morning that are saying, Pastor, you're right. There is a there, and I'm here. And I long to be there. I long to be at that place where I can pray prayers that get answers. I long to be at that place where I walk so closely with Jesus that his grace is sufficient for every need that I have. Yes, I'm here. I want to be there. I want to be at that place. I, I have a vision of being at that place. I want to get there. You know, God uses two things that we think are just polar opposites. You know what they are? Life and death. And you think they're so different, but they're so much the same. Life and death are simply vehicles that God uses to transition you into another dimension. I said life and death are just vehicles that God uses to transition you from here to there. For one time, you see, you were entrapped and, and begging for a, a deliverance from your state of where you were when you were in your mother's womb. Brother, you, you were in a, in a place it was warm and cozy and it was nice. You were getting nourishment. Someone was carrying you. But there came a time when you realized I can't stay in here anymore. I've grown so until I have become at a place where I've got to transition. And suddenly that warm bubble that you were living in changed because you heard someone say outside the womb, her water broke. And now you feel this strange pressure pushing on you into a birth canal. And you start a struggle, a struggle to get out of where you were and to get into life. Now, I don't know as much about that struggle as the opposite gender knows. But some of you told me that having a kidney stone is worse than having a baby, so I, and I know about kidney stones. But I don't know about having a baby. Oh, I held Debbie's hand when she screamed and hollered and carried on, Lord of mercy. You're killing me! 
body. Buddy, she fought him. That woman's a fighter, I'm telling you. And you struggle to get birthed. And the first thing you know is some weird-looking guy slaps you on your bottom and you gasp and suddenly you start breathing. And you open those eyes and you see strange figures and strange things. Talk about transition. What a transition birth is. Life is a wonderful thing. It's a gift of God. But it's the vehicle through which God brought you into this life. And the Bible tells us that revival comes that way, doesn't it, Don? As a woman in travail, that revival comes to the church. When ye travail as a woman giving birth, that our, our attitude and our, our activity should be as a woman in travail? You mean I'm supposed to act like Debbie to have revival? Yelling to, oh God, oh God. You mean God expects us to become so destitute and so desperate. I'll never forget how miserable she was. She weighed 142 pounds and said, I think I'm as big as a house. She'd try to sit down and she'd get like this, Jerry, and she'd put her hand back like that and she'd slowly ease down. It was comical. I came home from teaching in the Bible Institute one night and I got in about 11 o'clock and I'd taken her to some church members' house, Myra and Jerry's house, and she was staying with them until I could get back. And I went in the house and sat down. Debbie came by me walking like this. I thought, well, I wonder what that's about. She walked around, went through the dining room, went through the kitchen, back through the bedroom, and here she come by me again. I said, what in the world is that about? Didn't think much about it, too. But when she made that third trip by me, I said, hey, what are you doing? And she said, I think I've started and I ain't about to stop. Praise God. Took that girl to the hospital. Got over there at Druid City Hospital in Tuscaloosa and put that girl in there. And the doctor came out and told me, about 5 o'clock in the morning, we're going to have a baby, preacher. I said, well, good. Thank God. When that doctor went off and went home, her uh, obstetrician came in and he, he said, preacher, she's not in labor. She ain't even where near labor. I said, I'm going to let you tell her that. <laughs> Buddy, you talking about a white little Fincher woman, mad little Fincher woman. She come, but she said, I'm so mad. I said, what are you mad about? I'm just mad. I thought we was ready to get this done. I ain't even started. I hate to go back home like this. We went back home three more weeks. Three more miserable weeks. And when mama's miserable, everybody's miserable. Yeah. Wow. Finally, we got little Brian. 
he, 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 he's like a lot of you that he didn't want to transition. They had to get some forceps and get him out of there. That boy. You see, I wonder if God's got spiritual forceps that he says, my Lord, I'm never going to get this birthed in that girl till praise God, I, I'm going to have to get something to help. Life then is a transitioning into another dimension. But death also is a transition into another dimension. We learned last week that Paul said, I would much rather depart. For me to depart, he said, is gain for myself. But for me to live is Christ. We read it last Wednesday night in church and just shouted our shoe heels off, didn't we? About how, how he said, whether I should remain or whether I should go, I don't know. But for one thing is certain, for me to stay here and preach the gospel is fruitful for you. They said, so I guess I'll remain. How about that? That God transitions us from here to there. I think God wants every one of us to have a transition moment. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. Have a transition moment. I think harvest is in transition. I really believe that. Brother, when the year 2000 came around, man, when we went through that, I thought, wow, boy, that's going to be a, a transition time for somebody because church has changed. Having church has changed. Boy, in my lifetime, it's changed so much. Pastoring's changed more in the last seven years with social media and all that it goes along with that. We don't even pastor today like I did when I came here 32 years ago. My Lord, it's all, all different. Nehemiah was working as cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah had a great job. He got the best foods because he got to taste it before the king did to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Bad part about that, it might be poisoned. Good part about that is you always had good food to eat. So when he was serving as cupbearer, he would, he would go around and, and serve, the, serve the king. What a great job he had. Happy, but God had a destiny for him. God had a purpose for him. God had a here, but I need you there. And some brethren came back from Jerusalem and they said to him, the walls are torn down, the gates are burned, and the remnant of our brethren that are left there are under great shame and great reproach. And the Bible said, Nehemiah, when I heard those words, I sat down and wept. Transition sometimes will make you weep. I sat down and wept. And then he said, I mourned certain days. Sometimes transition will take you through a time of grieving. And then he said, I fasted. I fasted. You see, sometimes when you're so consumed by God's destiny and God's purpose for you, you'll push your plate back and you'll say, God, I'm going to fast about this because I need an answer. For he prayed to the God of heaven. His countenance changed. Well, naturally, you know, when you quit eating, you get thin. Naturally, when you're grieving and you're mourning and you're weeping, and I see the king notice him. And King Xerxes the first said to him, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? What's, what's happened to you? You're thin and, and you're frail. 
and I've noticed you, you just about quit eating. What's going on with you? Are you sick? He said, no, I'm not sick, king. Oh, king, I am burdened about my brethren and the condition of Jerusalem. There's something that is there that God has told me I needed to go and I needed to be. And I'm here. I love it here. It's great. Everything's good for me here. But I've got a purpose and I've got a destiny. And God has called me there. And I need to get there. And the king gave him letters to the foresters to get cedars of Lebanon so he could rebuild the gates. And the king assigned masons and laborers to go with him and gave him camels and gave him a a, a train to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. What a great story it is. When you get home, read the fourth chapter of Nehemiah. You'll find out how the armies of Samaria opposed him. And you'll find out how he had a trowel in one hand building the wall and he had a sword in the other fighting off the enemy. You'll read about him telling people, you watch by night for us while the men rest. You fight the battle at night for us while our laborers rest. And when we're resting and you rest tomorrow, we'll be building the wall. We'll work. We'll build and we'll battle at the same time. Church, that's what pastoring is now. It's building and battling. It's a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. You're fighting on one hand and you're building on the other hand. And the great commentary is, so builded we the wall for the Lord God fought for us. Fought for us. Can anybody say us? Us. Boy, that's a great pronoun, isn't it? Us. Boy, church would be so great if we just called it us. If it was us. The Lord will fight for us. If you could talk to a young Joseph strutting around with his coat of many colors. He was a proud, arrogant teenager, 17 years old, walking around displaying his coat of many colors. He was so arrogant, his brothers even, he told his brothers, he said, you guys, let me tell you about a dream I had last night. I dreamed that I was a king and on a throne and all of you guys was bowed down worshiping me. I don't know about your children, but if Brian told Rachel that, I can about imagine what she would tell him or vice versa. For siblings, one to say, I'm above you, I'm better than you. My daddy loves me a whole lot more than he loves you. What a crazy thing. And God, you're going to use that guy as a savior for Israel. You're going to use that guy with that attitude and that immaturity about him. You're going you're to use him to save the whole nation. God said, yeah, but he's got to go through transition. He's got to go through some transition." One day, Glenda, when he came out to visit the brothers, had his coat on. I imagine he wore it everywhere he went. And when he got there, his brothers were so angry with him, Demetrius, that they said, let's just kill him. Let's just do away with him and get rid of him. But God was not going to let that happen. 
And Reuben, the eldest brother, said, no, that's not, not what we're going to do. We'll sell him. Here comes a band of Midianites. We'll sell him to these traders. And they'll, they'll take care of him. They'll take him away from here. Let's take his smart aleck coat, dip it in some goat's blood. We'll tell daddy that he died. Ravenous beast got a hold of him and killed him. I feel like telling God some of that sometime, don't you? Just tell God he died. She died. Sorry, that just slipped out. Well, the Midianites carried him down to Egypt, sold him into slavery to work for Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tried to, you know that story, seduce him and he ran out of his coat, got put in jail, got put in prison because she lied on him. Well, that's terrible. That's mean, Pastor. Yeah, but that's in the school. That's the lessons that God had to teach Joseph to fulfill his destiny. For him to become the person God wanted him to be, he had to go through some things. Would it make you mad if I told you for you to be the person God wants you to be, you gotta go through some things? Would it make you angry if I told you that God loves you enough that he'll put you in training and put you through some exercises that'll help you develop into the person he wants you to be? Well, then Joseph felt like, I'm fixing to get out of here. I'm going to tell this cook and tell this butler. I've I've told them what their dreams meant, and I've told them about their situation, and I prophesied to them, and I told the cook, sorry, pal, you're not going to make it. King's going to kill you. But he said to the butler, he said, you'll be restored, and you'll get your job back. And he said, the only thing I ask you is, will you please remember me? But the Bible said he forgot all about Joseph. After he got restored, put back in his good job, he forgot Joseph. But one day, the king had a dream about cows and ears of corn. You know that story. And the butler said, King, I've got to confess to you, I remember my fault this day. There's a man that's in prison. His name is Joseph. He's a dreamer. He's a dreamer, but he's also a discerner of dreams. And said, if you'll call him, he'll come and tell you what your dream was in the night about seven cows, fat cows, and seven lean cows, and all those cows and cows and cows. And so Joseph came and said, here's the interpretation. You got seven good years, but then you're going to have seven lean years. And said, if you'll prepare in the seven years of fat cows, then you'll be able to make it fine when you get to seven years of lean cows. You mean God can move in such a way that presidents and kings and pharaohs ask advice of God's prophet and God's man? So Pharaoh said, you're right, and I I think that's right. We're going to set up these bins, and we're going to storage house. We're going to fix and prepare, and you're going to be over all of that, Joseph. Wow. And so the prophecy came true. 
the dream about the brothers bowing down. For when they had no grain and couldn't feed themselves, they came to their brother whom they didn't know was their brother. But he'd now become the Pharaoh. That's a great series. It's on tape somewhere. Get it from the pit to the pinnacle. But if you had asked him all along that way, he would have told you, I've got a destiny, got a purpose, and one day God will fulfill his destiny in me. I hear some people in this room right now saying, Pastor, I feel like I've got a purpose and I've got a destiny, and God wants me to get there. I'm here right now, but I need to be there. And I need to be what God wants me to be. I'm not satisfied anymore. I want to go through that transition you're talking about. And I want to start today on my journey to realizing my purpose and my destiny in God. Stand with me, please. When you're on your uh, transition journey, there will be some Sanballats and Tobias. They're from the army of Samaria. They'll make fun of you and they'll laugh at what you do. They criticize the work on the wall. In fact, they criticized his work so, Jerry, that they said, why, if a fox would trot up on a wall that he would build, that wall would fall down. If you can't take criticism, you may never get there. I said, if you can't take negative comment, you probably won't ever get there. But if you want to get from here to there, then put on the whole armor of God. I said, put on the whole armor of God. And above all, above all else, take the shield of faith. Take the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the devil. On your way from here to there, make sure you put your armor on, the whole armor of God. Make sure you get your sword of the Spirit because it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Make sure you get a good hold of the Word of God and have your loins gird about with truth because if you got the Word of God in one hand and the sword of the Spirit in another hand and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, then you can get from here to there. And one day God's gonna transition me from here to there. One day a trumpet's gonna sound. Glory to God, gravitation's gonna lose its power. And we're gonna get up, we're gonna rise to meet him in the air, graves are gonna burst wide open. I see Miss Annie looking down on us right now and Barbara saying that preacher's preaching the truth and y'all need to hear it and one of these days I'll see you again. Isn't it great to know that God's got a, a tomorrow? That this journey to a blessed country shining out across the sea in a land of strangers where there is no danger, blessed land a perfect day, that land of perfect day. And that's what's there. I'm still here. I'm still here. But I want to go there, don't you? I want to go there. 
And Virginia, one of these days when that trumpet sounds, we're going to go there. We're going to go there. Going to go there. They used to sing an old song when I was a kid. Oh, I want to live there, don't you? I want to live there, don't you? Vestal Goodman used to sing, I don't want to get adjusted to this old world. I've got a home that's so much better. I'm going to go there sooner or later. I don't want to get adjusted to this world. You know, if I thought there was something that was hindering me from going there, I'd fix it today. I said, if I had to fix something today in order to get there when my transition time comes, I'd fix it today. I'd fix it today. I'd fix it today. I need to hear all of you in this house say, I would fix it today. I would fix it today. I would fix it today. The way to fix it is take it to Jesus and let Jesus fix it. God, I thank you today for the wonderful opportunity to stand in a sacred place and preach your word. Now I ask you, God, to may that word find a lodging place in our hearts and go with us, O oh Lord, and in our transition that we're on that journey toward there. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to remain faithful and to remain true to the calling wherewith we're called. Move upon us and empower us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be what you've ordained us to be through the powerful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Shake hands and be friendly. And you better be friendly whether you shake hands or not. God love you and God go with you.